right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a low right now. You don't got time that. Alright? Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. We've got plenty of KU football audio to get to you today. Lance Leipold spoke with the media. Scott Fuchs spoke with the media. Bunch of KU offensive linemen Spoke with the media today. We've also got a sports stock market, and uh, I believe what will be the last edition of yeah. Fast Lane. So uh, congratulations, round of applause to Lane Gillespie. He's gotten a job with uh, WIBW, the TV station over in Topeka. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be uh, definitely a bit of a change of pace from what I was used to, um, you know, finishing out college. But mm. I'm excited. It's going to be a lot of fun. Well, uh, TV and radio, uh, similar, different at the same point in time, and uh, yeah, we now wish people, you luck. Yeah. Now people that hear me will actually know what I look like. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. I could, uh, for all you know, I could have like four ears if you're listening to this. <laughs> uh, you just might never know. I am 12 feet tall and weigh <laughs> right. 90 pounds. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you'll never know. Can't prove me wrong. Uh, DraftKings Sportsbook is coming to the Sunflower State. To celebrate, all new customers will receive $100 in free bets when you sign up using code KLWN. Plus, one lucky customer will win a $100,000 free bet. Shout out Nick Duncan. He is 2-0 in RCST Trivia. He uh, sent a, a reply on, on Twitter that he had signed up, used code KLWN. Shout out to you. I hope you uh, win the $100,000 free bet and... You know, you can you can take the over on two and a half wins or whatever you want to do with it. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and sign up with code KLWN to get $100 in free bets to use once mobile sports betting hits Kansas. Plus, one customer will win a $100,000 free bet. That's code KLWN only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Gambling problem? Getting help is your best bet. Call 800-522-4700. 21 and older, physically present in Kansas. Eligibility restrictions apply. See terms at DraftKings dot com slash sportsbook subject to regulatory licensing requirements one per customer one hundred dollars issued as four free twenty five dollar bets no purchase necessary for sweepstake void where prohibited ends first day DraftKings is allowed to operate in Kansas see terms at dkng.co slash ks we are officially three weeks away from the KU football season opener I've not seen a line yet um that I would love to bet on with DraftKings um I don't know. If you had to guess the line, what would you go with? I'm trying to remember. I think last year against South Dakota, obviously, KU didn't cover the spread. (laughs) I think the line was like, I could be totally off on this. I thought it was like 17 or something like that. Uh, I I think you're in the ballpark. Uh I I think it was more like 10 to 15 or something like that, but I mean, it was definitely at least 10. I could definitely you know, double digits, and they obviously didn't oh, yeah. cover. They they needed a. That's another like <laughs> fun little ripple we could go down. Is what would last season and what would you know the, I guess level of excitement of things moving forward be right now if Kansas would not have like converted that fourth down they needed that eventually led to them scoring a touchdown at the end to win seventeen right. fourteen like 
would would Kansas have even had the momentum to beat Texas, or would that have made the Texas win even funnier and even crazier because it would have been their only win of the season? Um, would there be would it be better for this year's team because then two wins would represent still an improvement from the year before? I found it. Yeah, you you're right. The line was only eleven and a half. Yeah, but um, so the uh, Matt the uh, football power index mm-hmm. gives KU, which I think last year against South Dakota was probably like a 80, 85% chance to win. They have 97.1 against Tennessee Tech. <laughs> yeah, the thing with South Dakota, and you heard Lance Leipold talk about this last offseason, he was like, uh, and obviously it wasn't his choice, like the schedule was already made before he got the job. He was like, I, yeah, do not want to schedule Missouri Valley schools. Like that's basically right. the SEC of the FCS. Like those are the schools that a lot of times lead to those upsets. So you don't have to worry about that with uh, Tennessee Tech, which is nice. And they're not a team that's like popping up in these like top 25, top 35, like rankings of FCS teams. So do that certainly think, helps it. Do you think Kansas would beat North Dakota State? This year? Or uh, just in general? Sure. Yeah, um, let's go for it. So North Dakota State has won what, like nine of the last eleven FCS national championships, something like that. I would say if they were playing, I know I would not be picking Kansas. Okay, um, and, and that's not so even no. like, but that's not even honestly like a, a thing about Kansas. That's like like North Dakota State beat like a ranked Iowa team, like mm-hmm. when they played them like a handful of years ago. So like, that's not an indictment on Kansas. A, a lot of FCS or a lot of FBS teams, a lot of even Power Five teams, I think would lose in a one game sample to North Dakota State as well. Um, Although it would be pretty nice bringing the bison to Kansas, which is the state animal, of course. <laughs> well, they've they've been out here before, and uh, that was not a game that a lot of KU fans, not just that they lost, but I'm sure wish that, you know, a lot of KU fans, they could be on their deathbed, and they'll be sitting there <laughs> going, I wish I could have that that four hours of my life back of that 6-3 to three game <laughs> that we like. Uh, but anyway, we are three weeks away from that KU football game and their opener against Tennessee Tech. I want to go through some of the numbers here. Three was the amount of interceptions that Jalen Daniels threw last season. Obviously, limited sample, basically played three and a half full games with the half of the game against Kansas State he got inserted into. So you pace that out, you look at a 12-game pace, that's about 10 to 11 interceptions. And and I keep going back, the stat line for some reason that keeps popping up my head, 15 to 20 touchdowns, 10 to 12 interceptions. Like I could see that being a very reasonable stat line for Jalen Daniels that also would be one of the better quarterback seasons that you've seen over the past decade, really, since Todd Reesing. But two of those picks were in the same game, right? Yeah, West he threw two against West Virginia. Okay. I think both were in the red zone, yeah. which was not yeah, great. I, I remember one of them late in the fourth quarter, he threw into the, like a corner of the end zone, just was not a smart throw. Yeah. So um, I, I guess the question I have, like dating back to what we were talking about yesterday, right, where we were talking about if Jalen Daniels can be a top half, top six quarterback – in the Big 12, and if you do that, it obviously substantially increases your chance at getting wins overall and in the conference. If he throws 10 or 11 interceptions, do you think that will be a possibility that we would still be looking at him at the end of the season and say, yeah, but he was still a top-half quarterback? Do you, do you think that would eliminate him from it, or do you think that would give him an opportunity to do so? I think that would definitely give him an opportunity. I mean, it's a pretty decent ratio of about one interception a game. Um, I, I know it's it's not necessarily a great number to have, but mm-hmm. compared to what Kansas fans have been accustomed to over the past decade, I I, I would say, you know, if you have more touchdowns than that, you take it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I 
I, I mean, if, if it was a season where it's 30 touchdowns to 11 interceptions, oh, then yeah, like, obviously. of course, that would be a top half season. But I think I'm under the estimation that you wouldn't have that many. So um, I wouldn't say it would preclude you from it. Because as we talked about yesterday, both between us and with Michael Swain, just because the statistical output might not be top half doesn't mean he isn't a top half guy. So it's kind of tough. But I th- I think that like double digit interceptions means a lot more in a negative way to what Jalen Daniels would do than I think what another quarterback like if you're uh, Dylan Gabriel at Oklahoma, mm-hmm. like what I just said, if you throw 10 or 11 interceptions, but you throw 30 touchdowns, it's like, OK, you gladly take that right. trade off. Right. And that's a possibility for him. Because I don't really see the 30 touchdown potential there for Jalen Daniels or whoever the KU quarterback is. I'm not saying that it just like tailspins the season. I think you can still win three or four games if if he does throw that many. I mean, hell, uh, Spencer Sanders led the Big 12 last year. He had 12 interceptions. They played for the Big 12 title game. But also that team had the best defense in the Big 12 in like up until the Big 12 title game, there were like stories coming out on like the athletic and, and through all these different sites about by certain metrics how it was the best defensive team in like Big 12 history. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So so that that that's a little bit different. And, and KU clearly doesn't have that defense. But that's kind of the point to me. That um whereas some of these other teams or other quarterbacks, like maybe they'll throw double digit interceptions or get close to it, but they might have 30 touchdowns. Or if they don't, they might have a great defense with them. The fact that KU doesn't have that margin for error and the fact that KU is going to play, I think, you know, they they talk about they are multiple and they are going to be versatile and they are going to have certain drives where they do speed up the tempo just to try to change things up and, and kind of throw a change up for the defense. But for the most part, they're going to be more ball control, more running and everything, and more of a limit the possessions type of game, which which makes sense. If you have less talent, limit the possessions, more craziness can happen if you limit the amount of... I guess variance in a game that can that can happen. So to that notion, it would be more beneficial to KU to throw less interceptions. It's obviously beneficial to everyone, but when you're playing on that tight margin for error, I think that if you do throw that many interceptions, that's not going to be great. I still think they can win three or four games, but I think that ceiling of five or more wins would be gone if it's that many interceptions. And if it's that okay. many interceptions and you're not getting, you know, more than 14, 15 touchdowns. I think probably it starts to impact you winning maybe even like four games. Yeah, I could agree with that. Mm -hmm. Um, And obviously, like, I I know I say the one interception per game ratio, but obviously you can't back it up if you don't have as many touchdowns. So, yeah, obviously, like, I I agree. Hmm, I'd honestly say three games. If it was like fifteen touchdowns, eleven picks, something like that, that's a that's a three win season in my opinion. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the next stat is three was the amount of receiving touchdowns by Luke Grimm and Lawrence Arnold last season combined or each each okay. which tied for the team lead. Nobody had more than three. If you had to pick either Grimm or Lawrence Arnold to total more, I don't know. I, I feel like the answer there is Arnold for touchdowns because yeah. he's the bigger body. Um, but is Arnold your pick to lead the team in, in receiving touchdowns? I think so. 
Um, like you said, he's got the bigger body. He's also got the ups and the great ball control. You know, he's he's mainly been the guy to throw to the corner in the of uh, the end zone and one on one coverage. And sometimes he's been great. You know, other times, um, not quite as much. But I I, I think that he'll be the leader of the team mm -hmm. uh, regarding the receiving core. Yeah, I think uh, I have Grimm leading the team in receptions. He's got that good connection, mm -hmm. slot receiver. I don't really know who I would pick to lead the team in receiving yards, to be honest. Just, you know, stick your hand in uh, a hat with a uh, folded up piece of paper and names on it of Luke Graham, Lawrence Arnold, and Doug Emelian, I guess, and maybe Trevor Wilson. It's probably one of those four that leads them in receiving yards, but I have no idea. Touchdowns, yeah, I would go with Arnold just because of the size. Uh, if I ask this, though, more receiving yards from, or I guess we'll go in line with this hat, more receiving touchdowns, Luke Graham, and Trevor Wilson combined, or Lawrence Arnold and Doug Emelian combined? I'm going to go with Lawrence Arnold. Uh, wow, Lawrence Arnold and Doug Emelian. I think I'm going to I'm going to go with those two. I think it's going to be close though. Yeah, I really I really like the connection there with Luke Grimm and everything. But you would just think slot receiver maybe not getting as many touchdowns. You have the big body on the outside, but then again, Luke Grimm had as many touchdowns as Arnold. So I right. I guess I'll uh, I'll hedge my bet a little. I'll go with the Grimm and uh, Wilson one. Next stat, three is the amount of points you get for a field goal. Woo! I did great <laughs> math there. No, um, It's also how many points you get when you answer an easy question <laughs> yes, correctly on trivia, the football trivia. Which we'll have coming up in the 4 o'clock hour. Um, the reason I'm bringing this up, this is important for two reasons. One, KU just point blank didn't convert enough their field goals last season. I've, I've talked about this before. You go 9 of 15 on field goals. You know, that's 60%. Kind of yeah, yeah, it's it's 10% lower than the rest of the Big 12. It goes back in line with the conversation of don't just be the worst in the Big 12. At least be bad as someone else. Like, don't be the, right. the, the money ball, you know, saying of there's 40 feet, feet of crap and then there's us, right? Like, don't let there be that 40-foot um, buffer of crap basically in between. But the second part of this, KU needs to be more bend, not break this season defensively. They're not going to all of a sudden just turn into a defense that is shutting teams down and getting all these three and outs. Yes, you hope that they can get more of those, but they're still overall going to have drives where they're bending. And last season, not only were they just not good at getting off the field in general, but also when they started to bend, they pretty much broke every time. Um, yeah. Offenses reached the red zone 58 times on the Kansas defense last season. 47 of those 58 trips, 47 of the 58 resulted in touchdowns. So 81% of the time that opposing offenses reached the red zone against Kansas, they got a touchdown. By the way, for those doing the math at home, that's almost five red zone trips a game. Yeah, uh, the, the pure amount, it too, is like too high. But. Yeah. The percentage and the, the percentage pure amount, you add them up, worse. and that's how you give up 42 points per game. Uh, just out of, like, fun comparison here, I, you know, most people would probably say this isn't fun, but it's fun in a uh, kind of sicko way. Right. Uh, Georgia gave up touchdowns on just 28% of red zone trips by the opposing offense. So, again, compare that. KU gave up touchdowns wow. on 81% of red zone trips. Georgia gave up touchdowns on just 28% percent of red zone trips and, and here's the numbers of the other big 12 teams which will probably be a better comparison west virginia was super stingy in the red zone just 42 percent of trips to the red zone resulted in touchdowns against them that was the best in the big 12 we go down the list this is where a lot of them were stacked baylor oklahoma state texas iowa state are all between 54 and 58 percent then you have oklahoma kansas state and texas tech all between 62 and 66 percent you drop down to TCU, who was at 
And then there is that 40-foot buffer of crap all the way down to Kansas at 81%. So if I just, you know, looked at this real quick, the difference between Kansas, who was last in the Big 12, to Texas Tech, who was eighth in the Big 12, was a wider margin than the difference between Texas Tech, who was eighth, to Baylor, who was all the way up at second. That's gross. That shows you how far off KU was in red zone defense. Now, if KU just dropped to what TCU's rate was, right, you still give up 71% of your red zone trips defensively, end up being touchdowns for the other team, that'd still be a high number, that still would not be great, but that gives up six less touchdowns, which even if the other team hits all six field goals on those drives, that, that on its own shaves two points per game off the scoreboard for your defense. And, you know, I, I think the target goal is you're at least trying to be a touchdown better than you were last year. But if you can get down like 10 points per game to around 32 points per game, mm. I, I think the if you're projecting to score, you know, 22 to 25 points per game, if you do that and give up 32 per game, you look at some of the expected win totals, it's going to look more like a three to five win team for KU. So you shave off a couple points there. Or if you drop KU's rate, to what Texas Tech's was, again, in eighth. Um, they would be giving up nine less touchdowns. And even if the opposition hits all nine field goals, which, again, given college kickers, probably not going to happen. It's probably more like they're going to hit seven or eight. You're shaving three points per game off your score. And then if you add in what you were talking about, that that's a lot of red zone drives that you even gave up to begin with. If that number more normalizes, you add that all up, and that's how you get down. Yeah those 10 points per game. So if you just get better at red zone defense, like that on its own is is going to be worth a handful of points. And that's something they have to do better at because they were really bad at it last year. I mean, especially, you know, I'm sure every Kansas fan is tired of the 55 to 6 games now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, this is the uh, last number three. Three would be the amount of wins to hit the over. It's two and a half right now. I, I think maybe more importantly than than representing hitting the over is just that it would represent improvement, linear improvement from last year to this year. We know things aren't always linear like that. Like sometimes we'll see teams have a seven win season, then they'll win four games, then they'll win nine the next season. It doesn't always work that you go seven, eight, nine, right? And that could be the case for KU. I think perfect example, 2019, they won three games. 2020, they didn't win any, but with the program or, or the talent they brought into the program, a lot of it ended up transferring out with like guys like Karan Prunty and Marcus Harris and whatnot. Um, it felt like, okay, they were they were setting themselves up for the following year. So that doesn't guarantee that just because the program's moving in the right way that they have to win more games than they did last year. They could win the same amount, they could win less, and then take a bigger jump the year after that. But because of the fact that you have so many players back, because you have upgraded the roster in significant ways at so many positions with the transfer portal, because you have had a full year of practices and spring ball, unlike last year, it would be a disappointment if you didn't win more games than last season. Doesn't mean that anybody's getting fired. Doesn't mean that anybody needs to be on the hot right. seat. It would just be a bit of a disappointment if that was the case. And, and I mean, I, I think we've talked about this before. I, I don't know if we'd call it a success, but definitely an improvement if, let's say, you know, like we pointed out to, uh, not that long ago, uh, average 20, 25 points a game on offense and allow about 35 on defense. Mm -hmm. That's an improvement from a season ago because then that means there are going to be a lot more closer games. Now, yeah, if Kansas can't finish it out, then yeah, that's not going to bode well in the win-loss record. But let's say they go 3-9 and nine 
and the difference in points scored compared to points allowed is on average about 10. I would definitely feel, I wouldn't say happy, but definitely a lot better. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. So uh, three is the number you got to get to to avoid that disappointment. Four is a bit of a party. Two would be a mild disappointment. Anything below that is, uh, again, no hot seat pressure at this point. It's just year two of the job, but that would uh, not be great. So let's not even entertain it. He's Lane Gillespie. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Shock Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. We've got some KU football audio to share with you, including Lance Leipold coming up later this hour. This update is brought to you by Midco. Would you like to get involved in sponsoring Rock Shock Sports Talk or the best of RCST podcast? How about getting involved in some KU action or local high school sports? You can reach out to us, djohnson at gpmnow.com. That's djohnson at gpmnow.com. And we'll see what we can do to help out your business and get involved here in local sports. Thanks for joining us today on Rock Shock Sports Talk 4 o'clock hour. Here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN with Lane Gillespie. I am Derek Johnson, and it is that time on a Friday. Stock market is closed. It's time for our sports stock market here on KLWN and RCST. And first up, stock is up on narcissism, baby. I love me some me. (laughs) Antonio Brown tweeted yesterday. My biggest regret in my career doesn't involve calling my GM a cracker or showing up to Raiders camp late in a hot air balloon with frozen feet or throwing rocks at that UPS driver, which I don't even remember that story. So was that just like him telling on himself anyway? It may have. And it definitely doesn't involve taking my shirt off and doing a victory lap around the Jets stadium mid-game while throwing up deuces. Victory my, lap. Yeah. Okay. I love how. Yeah, I love how he said that. My biggest regret is that I'll never get to see me, Antonio Brown, play a game live. Sure, I can watch the game afterwards, but I can't imagine what that was like for all you to see something like that. Like watching the Beatles or Jesus (laughs) perform at Red Rocks. Oh my gosh, this just still cracks me up. (laughs) Wait, does he think that Jesus performed at Red Rocks? Does he know who Jesus is? Um, who was it? John Lennon said that the Beatles were better than Jesus or something like that, or more popular than Jesus, something like that. Oh, yeah, gosh. and a lot of people got pissed at that. Oh, my gosh. I've actually seen some funny, like, T-shirts that have circulated around where it shows, like, Jesus doing, like, you know, the Sermon on the Mount or something like that, and it's, like, at Red Rocks or something. Yeah. Um, it's just the pure narcissism of this dude. Oh, my God. Like, unbelievable. And, and, and we... And to think that we thought that the Antonio Brown saga was done. <laughs> oh, it's never done. It's never, it's never done. done. No. At this point, nobody's going to sign him, right? No, he's done. <laughs> I mean, there is a part of me that's like, uh, Deshaun the- Watson's playing. It is the NFL. Maybe the USFL. Something like that. I still think, I, I don't know. Or when the XFL Time heals comes all. back. I still would not be shocked if somebody else gives him a contract, but... I also got to be out of desperation. At that it would, point. it would, but like NFL teams fall into desperation all the time. Okay, uh, stock is about right, so you know, hold, don't buy, don't sell. Uh, on expecting shady things from the Saudi fund and the Live Golf Tour. Previously reported with the Live Golf Tour, they're giving out all these mega contracts to all these different golfers, and you see the offer to like Tiger Woods is. Like an eight hundred million dollar money, right? Like more money than I could ever uh, imagine in my lifetime. And 
part of that was it's just part of the contract and then they're going to earn more money by playing in all these tournaments. And you see what they're making as part of the tournaments. Like the guy who finishes in last of the tournaments getting like, you know, $250,000, which is more than you might get for like a top 10 at, at some of these tournaments on the PGA Tour that aren't like majors. So um, that was kind of all the, the thought and the good and well. But this is what the lawyer for the Live Golf Tournament said uh, earlier this week. Money won in tournaments is recouped against the live contracts. So what that means, this is kind of similar to what happens in like the World Series of Poker and poker events. You see these guys who like they made this amount of money in something. But what happens in a lot of these poker events is a just rich mogul or a business person or whatever mm-hmm. will stake the poker person. And basically what will happen is they will pay for that person's entry into the big poker tournament. And they will basically have given the the poker person, you know, an amount of money, and the poker per- player has to win back the money to earn back the contract and then make more money, right? So the the person might stay. This doesn't happen for every poker player, but for a lot of them, it'll be like, I'm gonna give you ten million dollars. That'll stake all your different tournaments over the course of whatever span of time, right? Okay. And if you win back. Let's say you win $40 million of winnings over those tournaments. Great. You pay back the $10 million, You keep the other 30 or wh- whatever else other, um, I guess, details you have to pay out to you know people that you need to. Um, but if you only make $5 million back off the tournaments, then all of a sudden that extra $5 million that the guy, he either you either owe him that or you have to keep working for him to pay it back. And in some cases, you never do. And it just becomes this like endless cycle of of now you're basically caught working this for this sounds guy. Sounds so dumb. It does, but that is basically what. Once they were on record and the lawyer had to say something, that is not the case. So you might view it and be like, "Hey, Dustin Johnson is getting these hundreds of millions of dollars," but if he wins this tournament, he doesn't get that money added right. on. It just goes against his contract. So I don't know what happens if you never make all of the money back, if you just eventually retire at the end of the contract, but you're not making extra money for winning these tournaments. So it is a little bit of a shady venture there. It just doesn't sound worth it, in my opinion. It doesn't no. sound worth it if it's at that juncture. Yeah. Um, I Yeah. I, so I, I don't know all the details of that, but yeah, that just continues to live, continues to be shady there. Okay, uh, next story. Stock is down on Kentucky being a basketball school. John Calipari made a uh, comment, and it got published in an article with The Athletic, about that they're a basketball school and that they want new practice facilities and that because they're a basketball school, like this is what they have to do. Once that story released and the quote came out, it was met with heavy social media reaction from Kentucky football players and from Kentucky football head coach Mark Stoops, who, among other comments, mentioned them winning four straight postseason games, um, playing in the SEC, uh, just on its own, makes them not a basketball school. There were certain players who... I, I saw one player came out and was like... Uh, just did, did Kentucky football ever lose to St. Peter's? Right. I don't think so, right? <laughs> so, like, you, you had that kind of battle there, and I'm sure a lot of it was kind of a, a fun poking at each other, so to speak, but I think there is from, like, a very real standpoint. If you ask Mark Stoops, he'd probably be like, I hate how much attention they get 
you know, we with how much success we've had and how much money right. we're bringing into the program and everything. And the SEC is a football conference. We're a football school now. Sorry, you got to change it. But also, if you ask most Kentucky fans, I'm sure a lot of them, just in the same way that a lot of KU football fans are like, I actually like football more than basketball, or are like, I love football too. Still, the majority of the fan base is probably still like, no, I'm, I'm more basketball. Probably, but I mean, Mark Stoops raises a fair point, though, mm-hmm. is that when it comes to postseason success, at least in the recent years, Kentucky's uh, football has been better. You don't have the National Player of the Year and lose to freaking St. Peter's, mm-hmm. and we will shout it to the freaking mountaintops. <laughs> okay? Like, it, it, why does John Calipari even want new practice facilities? Like, is it already that bad? Yeah, I can't or, imagine or they have just, bad ones. Yeah, either you, I, I can't imagine them having bad ones with the money they have already, or just practice at Rupp Arena. Yeah, that's a good point. Why are they not just practice? That's what KU does. I mean, Allen Field. Right? I mean, they KU does have a practice court too, but they don't go there every day. There are some days they go to Allen Fieldhouse. Yeah, that's a good question. I I don't know the answer to that, but go uh, to Rupp Arena. It's a big arena. It's it's a good arena. Just go there. Yeah, I I do find this whole thing kind of comical that. Um, they're kind of running into that with each other. And it feels like like if Kentucky made the Final Four over the last three or four seasons, this probably doesn't happen. If they win a title over the last couple of years, this doesn't happen. But uh, some some anarchy occurring in Lexington. How about this one? Stock is up on skirting stupid NCAA <laughs> rules. Oscar Shibway. This is so stupid. Oscar Shibway cannot profit off of NIL in the United States. Because he is originally from Africa, he grew up there, and he has a student visa. And so, for some reason, the NCAA is like, if you're not from here, you can't profit off NIL, but everyone else can? Like, I would say that is the dumbest of all the NCAA rules, but I don't know. I don't want to pick, because there are so many dumb ones that it would be uh, it'd be a little disingenuous to, to say this one is the dumbest. So, again, I don't, I don't understand what the purpose of that is. But, again, let's go back. Oscar Shibwe was the National Player of the Year. Well, they're in the Bahamas this week, and uh, I guess he can make NIL money when he's outside the U.S. So... Pretty much all these boosters and ads that are like, hey, Oscar, we want you to come back this year. Here's how much money we're going to give you. They just had to wait for this week to happen and be like, hey, we're going to give you this amount of money as an NIL deal. It's all going to be closed off this week. We can't give you any money when you're back here. But he's slated to earn around $500,000 in seven days from autographs, ads, and other promos. That is a pretty penny and good for him. Good for uh, them kind of skirting around that very stupid NCAA rule. Last story. Stock is up on me being irrationally angry because that is exactly what I'm going to be if this stuff ends up happening. There seems to be a growing sentiment that we hear about the Power Five kind of taking over in the SEC and Big Ten and everything. SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey wants a, quote, fresh look at the NCAA basketball tournaments, perhaps with an eye toward expanding the field. Now. I, I go back and forth with expanding the field because it's like, I love the NCAA tournament. You're telling me there's going to be more basketball, more of this enjoyment? Sure, I can get on board with that, but also... I don't like more... I don't oppor- want it to get watered down, right? I, I also don't want more opportunities of KU getting upset early. <laughs> That's true, but I guess it depends what you go to. If it goes to like 96 and KU has a first-round bye, but does that make them rusty? And does that make... Exactly. I, I, I don't know. So, I don't want to deal with that, but my biggest worry here is that... 
this starts to turn into a process where Cinderella's get watered down, where the automatic bids, right. where the teams from these small conferences don't make it into the NCAA tournament. Because that is what makes the NCAA tournament so great. You get these Cinderella's. You just and saw St. Peter's. This exactly. St. Peter's was never going to win the title. But they could take some teams out who could have. And you have that situation, and you get that, like, for St. Peter's to make the Elite Eight, they're going to go down in just as much memory as a team who made the Final Four or five years ago. Like, that right. becomes as much of a storyline and as much interest in the NCAA tournament as ever. So if that ends up becoming a thing, I, I really hope that they... Like, again, everything in the NCAA continues to be, hey, what can we do to make more money in the near term without an eye on the future? You might make more money in the near term by being a Power 5-only NCAA tournament to where, yeah, all your schools are the ones making it, and the NCAA tournament pays a price per round that your teams go to. So you might make more right. money in the near term. But in the long term, without that Cinderella aspect... You're not going to get as big of a TV contract, so I hope they realize yeah, that. Yeah, just not going to be interested anymore. No, Nobody's no. going to want to go to them anymore. I mean, they'll still have interest, but it won't be, like, nearly to the same level. Right. And I don't think there will be nearly as much, like, there won't be as many, like, office pools and things like that. I mean, heck, there are interests for people who don't even like sports. Mm -hmm. Just to make a bracket, do, the it off of, do it off of their mascots, and then they win the the office challenge anyway even though they don't know a darn thing about basketball like the the interest is already there where you're making a ton of money and if you do that just bring it all just only have the power five conference teams it's, it's just going to go away he is lane gillespie i'm Derek johnson that's your sports stock market for the week we have rcst trivia coming up next stocks up on that and then uh fastling after that in the four o'clock hour this is rcst on klwn depending on it We are brought to you by Homefield Apparel. Homefield, a premium collegiate apparel brand out of Indianapolis, has incredibly comfortable, officially licensed apparel with vintage college designs because they dig through the archives of your school to find unique logos, mascots, and moments. The Kansas Collection has 14 pieces of apparel, including t-shirts, hoodies, crewnecks, and they are some of the most comfortable things that you will wear, plus they re look really cool. And they just released, well, not just, but after the national championship, they released a national championship shirt. Use the code ROCKCHALKSPORTSTALK. That's ROCKCHALKSPORTSTALK, all one word, and you'll get 15%, 15% off your first order. That's right. Code Rock Shock Sports Talk, all one word for 15% off with home field apparel on your first order. RCST Trivia is brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery, Jayhawk Trophy, and Johnny's Tavern. We have a Friday edition of RCST Trivia. This is technically the Monday division. Friday is kind of our open day in case we need to move anything around. So that's what we're doing here in this one. And we've got a top 10 team in Kyle Martin taking on an unranked team, but certainly one who's, I'm, I'm sure, receiving votes. That's Jim Scherer, who had a bye week last week. He's 1-0, 13 points scored so far, so just hasn't had the chance to prove it all the way through without as uh, many matchups so far. So, Jim, we'll start with you coming off that bye week. You know, I've been asking everybody coming off the bye, do you feel rested? Do you feel rusty? Where do you kind of lie on that spectrum? Uh, you know, I uh, a, a little bit of both. Um, you know, I, I've been waiting for, for this particular matchup for like the last 12 years in the, it's been 12 years in the making. So, um, so this is a big day and I, I, I didn't want to, uh, you know, I, I'm glad Kyle is flexible to, to move, uh, because I, I didn't want to play him, uh, when he was down, of course. So, um, so, so I, I'm glad he's in top shape now. 
Well, Jim, I know you and Kyle uh, know each other from outside of just the, uh, you know, matching up here in this trivia matchup. So um, it, does this one feel personal to you? Um, it's it's personal uh, in in the sense that I think Kyle is probably probably feels honored um, to be engaging with me in this uh, in, in this battlefield uh, that is Rock Chalk uh, Sports Trivia. So. Um, so yeah, I, I, I mean, I think so. And I think it's probably more personal for him as well. Kyle, uh, I'll ask you that same question then. Does this feel personal for you taking on Jim? Uh, yeah, it does. Um, you know, Jim and I work together. Uh, we've worked together a couple of times. We've developed a friendship, um, you know, within those positions. Um, but, but what maybe not a ton of people know, uh, Jim and I played competitive trivia on the same team, uh, for, uh, a number of years um, before I, uh, you know, we had kids uh, and kind of messed everything up from a trivia perspective. But uh, yeah, this is an interesting arena. Uh, we haven't battled uh, each other like this um, in a while. I know the Filer rivalry is out there for me. Um, and maybe Jim one day will get past the first round of basketball trivia and I can claim then in that tournament. Well, Kyle, um, you are sitting at one and one so far. You got 28 points, 25 regular or regulation points, I guess I should say, between the two matchups. So uh, a little bit, you know, to look ahead, Aaron Mayer is currently in first of the Monday division. Does that cross your mind at all, or is it just kind of take care of business here? Uh, I mean, uh, you know, for me, I absolutely see this as a as a must win. Um, you know, I, uh, I wish I could have played Jim on Monday, but, um, you know, circumstances didn't allow it, but yeah, uh, keeping an eye on the rest of the division, but I know for me, uh, you know, goal is to get to a, a bowl game. I'm likely not going to make that happen without a, a couple more wins, and it starts here today. And Jim, have you thought about it all? If if you win this matchup, you know, you'll be, uh, I mean, points wise, it'll it'll come down to that. Um, but just in terms of the record, you'll be tied for first. Ha- has that crept into your mind at all here? Uh, well, not until now. <laughs> so. Well, you're welcome so, for that. Yeah, yeah, thanks, thanks, Jared. <laughs> All right, well, Jim, since you've been uh, off the bye week and, you know, it's been so long since you played, I will give you the honorary coin toss here. Would you like heads or tails? Uh, let's, let's go with uh, heads. Okay. It is tails. So, Kyle, would you like to go first or would you like to go second? I'll go second. All right, so Jim, that'll be good. No more waiting for you off that long, extensive bye week. You just get to go right off the bat. We'll start in the first quarter into the easy round of questions. These are worth three points for you, Jim. KU saw two running backs go for over 100 yards in their 2007 season opener, a win that started their Orange Bowl season. Name one of those two running backs. Brandon McAnderson. Yep, the other one was Jake Sharp. Both of them rushed for over 100 yards. And Jim on the board with a early field goal. Okay, Kyle, for you, your first question. And this one also worth three points. In 2008, Todd Reesing threw for four touchdowns in a game twice. One came in a November game of that 2008 season. Another one came in a December game of that 2008 season. Name one of the two opponents. Uh, well, the December game must have been, uh, Minnesota. That's right. 
had to go through a little bit of a, a thought process on that one. But once you go through it, it's it's easy to think about. Because, yeah, that was the only December game they played. Minnesota and the November one was a uh, notable one as well. That would be the Missouri Tigers was the uh, November one. Okay, 3-3 three to three into the second quarter of play. Back to you, Jim. This is for six points in the medium round of questions. This former David Beatty and Les Miles Jayhawk running back wore number 10 and eventually transferred to Virginia Tech. Khalil Herbert. Yep, Khalil Herbert, the correct answer. Just kind of upped and left in the middle of the season after, I think, four games so that he could preserve his red shirt. I think they were playing TCU, and he just didn't go down with the team. Kind of odd situation there. That is the correct answer. All right, Kyle, six-pointer for you here to try to tie it at nine, headed into the halftime break. This former Turner Gill Jayhawk quarterback wore the number two and eventually transferred to Colorado. Jordan Webb. Yep, Jordan Webb, the correct answer there. Kind of forgot about the Colorado days there. But, uh, yeah, transferred away. Okay, it is nine to 9-9, both of you guys two for two. And the score is all tied up, headed into the third quarter. Into the hard round, these are worth seven points. We'll start with you, Jim. Two Jayhawks tied for a team-best four interceptions on the 1992 team that went 8-4. and four. Name one of the two. Mm. Kwame Lasseter. Woo! That is a big get. Kwame Lasseter, the uh, notable father of former Kwame Lasseter. I believe it was the third, the receiver who led this past year's team in receiving yards. The other answer was Charlie Bowen. Yeah, those were uh, two good ones there. All right, that's a big seven for you, Jim. The pressure now on Kyle. This for you to try to tie it. And worth seven points here in the hard round. Three Jayhawks tied for a team-high two interceptions the following season on the 1993 team that went five and seven. Name one of the three. Hmm. I think the question here is whether I throw out last year again because I'm trying to remember the years he played. Um, 10 seconds. I'll go with uh, Brew. Good hit there. Dorian Brew is one of the correct answers. The other one's Tony Blevins. And here was the other kind of notable name one, Clint Bowen, former KU defensive coordinator. All right. We got quite the matchup here. Love this on a Friday. 16 to 16. We're all tied up into the fourth quarter. Two friends turned foes. And Jim, this one for you for eight points in the really hard round in the fourth quarter. Kansas had their first 1,000-yard passer in the 1940s. What sophomore quarterback logged those over 1,100 passing yards? It's a guess. I don't. Uh, James. No, the correct answer. I don't know if this name will ring a bell after I say it. Ray Evans. Mean oh. anything to you? Yeah. Okay. I, I keep thinking of him just on defense, of course. Yeah. So. Multi-positional player. 
played basketball yeah. as well. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That was uh, the big one there. Kyle, now to you. A chance to win, a chance for a perfect week, and a perfect 24 points. And an answer of really hard, which we announced the other day. Uh, we're going to have our, our version of, like, the Heisman, which, you know, really hard questions are going to go into it. I, I've heard from Scott Chasen, who's going to be doing the voting flair and style points go into it. I don't know. He's the voting committee. So, uh, okay, Kyle, for you, for the win. Ray Evans went into three years of military service following that 1942 season in which he did eclipse 1,000 yards passing. Who led the Jayhawks in passing yards any of the three seasons that Evans was away in military service? Yeah, I got a couple names in my head here. Um, I'll go with one Filer hit me with on studying last night. We'll see if it hits here. That's we'll Ralph Miller. No, the correct answers. So this is why this one had three names and the other one had one. Ray Evans, a bit more of a notable name. This one had three names because you had Bob George, Charlie Moffitt, and George Gear. No, nope. those weren't the other names. So nope. tough ones there. Okay. I, I totally had George Gear. Did you actually? No. Okay. <laughs> All right. We got fun stuff. We got overtime here. 16 to 16, the score. And uh, this is where the strategy comes into things. Kyle, you were a part of a, an overtime matchup last week. Um, or, or was it week one? I don't even remember. I've lost track of all the weeks. Nonetheless, you've been part of one of these before. Jim has not. So, uh, Jim, I gave you the first coin toss. Kyle, I'm going to give you the second coin toss. Do you want heads or tails? Go heads. All right. It is heads. So you have the choice once again. Do you want to go first or second? I will go second. Okay. So we're going to stick with the order. Uh, Jim, just to make sure you're clear on the rules here, you now have the option here in overtime to pick any of the four categories, easy, medium, hard, really hard, whatever you do. If you don't get the answer right, all Kyle's going to have to do is kick a field goal and hit an easy question. If you get your question right, though, Kyle will have the option to either match that question or go one step further and go for the win. So, Jim, what category would you like to answer a question out of? Um. Oh, man. Uh, let's go easy. All right. Easy. So this is I like this strategy. We've had a lot of people go medium. A couple have Actually, missed it. No. You want to switch it? Can I change that, Derek? Is it too late? I have not asked the question. So, yes, it is not too late. You can change it. Let's go with hard. Whoa. Okay. This is risky because if you don't get oh, this man. right, all Kyle has to do is answer an easy. But if you get it right, you will have put, you know, Kyle in a, a bit of a stranglehold. Uh, all right. Okay. Wait a minute. Let's oh. go back to easy then. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, one last time. Final answer. What category would you like to answer? Easy. Okay. Easy, easy it is. No changing from here. No. All right. Jim, what longtime defensive coach took over as the interim head coach for KU in 2014 after Charlie Weiss was fired? Uh, Clint Bowen. Yep, Clint Bowen. All right, so that was the easy. So now... The ball is in Kyle's court. Kyle, you can go for the easy and try to extend overtime. We haven't had a double overtime game yet. Or you could go for the medium and get the win. Or you could even go for the hard or really hard just to try to show off. You know, it's Friday afternoon, Derek. We've all got stuff to do, a weekend to get to. 
Give me the medium question. Let's see if I can get out of here with the win. All right, Kyle, medium question. This will determine who wins. Playing from 2015 to 2018, this KU receiver sits second in KU history for most career receiving yards. What's his name? Sorry, our friend Stephen Sims. That is right. And Stephen Sims, very much of a friend to the Martin household now, coming away with the victory. Big six points there. So that was actually the first time that we've had both contestants answer a question correctly in the overtime. It's always happened where either the first person hit the medium, second person tried to go for the win and hard and missed it, or the first person missed, the second person just hit an easy to kind of come through with the win. Uh, Jim, uh, you had a bit of back and forth with what you wanted to do there. Uh, hindsight being 2020, would you have done the easy category once again, or would you have done something different? Uh, man, I don't know that, that was, that was wild. Uh, uh, no, I would not have done that actually, I guess it, it kind of, yeah, it threw me for a loop. I, I don't know. Do yeah. you wish that you would have got to go second? Yes. Mm. So Kyle, very, very much so the coin toss certainly helping you out there that you might've confused your opponent a bit by winning the coin toss. So, um, I, I guess you didn't really have to pick your strategy, so to speak. Was there any thought that crossed your mind, though, that you were going to answer just an easy question just to try to keep it going? No. No, no. Once he went easy, I knew I'd at least go medium. I think if I went first, I would have gone medium and, and seen if he went hard. I, I think if, you know, I, I do think if Jim had gone medium, I think I would have matched. I think I would have tried to push it to double. Um, but, yeah, when I, played, when I played Andrew, it was, uh, you know, the, week two – um, the question he missed was Steven Sims. And so, uh, Sims might be the guy bringing me forward here, uh, into my bowl game. Hopefully I got, I got to get a win on Monday. Um, and I think I'll, I'll clinch a, a bowl berth at that point. Um, maybe more. So, uh, more studying to do. I got to get on the phone here. Maybe Jim and I can study now that we don't have another matchup against each other. Yeah, that's true, uh, but that's tough. But also, Jim might be rooting against you because you guys might be competing for, you know, a, a bull bid or, or whatever it is. So uh, I, I guess that'll be completely up to Jim. But, yeah, for next week's matchups, Kyle, you'll be taking on Blake. So if you win that, you'd be knocking out another one-loss team. So I do believe that would clinch you into one of those top two spots. And then Jim's going to be taking on Aaron. So uh, I, I guess, you know, even though you are competing, there's also that other side of it where – like you said, it's not just trying to help yourself, but you are now the biggest gym fan, correct? I'm the biggest gym fan, and, and Jim, tell you the truth, I, I told Kristen last night, if, if I lost you today, I was going to be rooting for you like crazy because you're going to be undefeated. You're going to be driving this thing forward. We had a chance to get you into the playoff, but um, yeah, sorry to give you the L today, but uh, at least it was a, a pretty entertaining matchup for all. Well, Jim, you still got a shot at it. You beat Aaron, who's in first of the division, then all three of you guys could have one loss, and uh, that could get really interesting to the very finish, but I, I don't think you should feel bad about the loss here because it's not like you you know you missed all these questions that led to you losing. It just coin didn't go your way. Yeah, yeah, I uh, I, I I now hate coins, so <laughs> here we are. Well, guys, I appreciate it. That was an awesome matchup. Great way to send us into the weekend, and good luck on uh, both your guys' matchups next week. Awesome, thanks, Derek. Thanks, Derek. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, Kyle. Can't ask for a better matchup than that. Like I said, that's the first overtime matchup where both have answered a question correctly. And, I, man, that's tough for Jim because he's going to be thinking that through because he, he wanted to do the hard for a little bit. And he's like, oh, you know, 
And who knows if he would have got the hard right or wrong. Like, he could have also argued, well, if I would have answered hard, what if I would have got it wrong? Then all Kyle would have had to done is answer that Clint Bowen question, you know, and that would have been a lot easier for him. And, and maybe the Steven Sims one would have been a little more difficult. And I guess fate was just on Kyle's side there. He had fate with the coin. He won both coin tosses, although the first coin toss, I don't know, it really doesn't affect things much. Like, sure, it affects the order, but you don't know who's going to get what question in what order. The overtime, the coin certainly does help. And then also the fact that he just happened that the next question that lined up on our order was another Steven Sims one after he just made that story. Like, that's a pretty good fortune for Kyle there, but both guys who really know their stuff. And and I don't think Jim is done. He's going to give Aaron quite the matchup coming up next week. Kyle and Blake, that's a big matchup because one of them is going to walk out with one loss, the other one with a big second loss. We're excited to see it for another edition of RCST Trivia. We'll have our updated standings graphics come out on our Twitter page at RCST1320. We will also have the updated top 10 coming up at some point this weekend. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Lane Gillespie. I'm Derek Johnson on FM 1017-1320-KLWN. Depend on it. Did you know that on our website, klwn.com, as well as our sister stations, 1059kissfm.com, bull929.com, we have a program called Hometown Deals. So you click the tab, and it takes you to a magical place where gift cards are 50% off. We have handfuls of different restaurants and places that you can go to that you can get a 50% off gift card to. So just go to the website, click Hometown Deals, and you'll see some of those gift cards for 50% off. If you're a business and interested in being part of this as well and getting featured ads at no cash price and just gift card cost, shoot us an email, djohnson at gpmnow.com. Quarter till five, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Stick around for our social media page for the updated top 10, for the updated standings, and Scott is going to be releasing his Heisman projections through uh, the third week of the season. But right now, quarter till five on a Friday, let's go into the fast lane with Lane Gillespie. Let's do it. All right. Cue the music. Again, say it to myself. I always find it kind of weird when I when I say cue the music to myself. But uh, but anyway, the uh, final edition of the fast lane, unfortunately. But let's go ahead and make it a mm-hmm. memorable one. So uh, first things first, you know, we've, we've always said baseball is a sport of statistics. Yes, so it is. Of course, we have some more beautiful statistics to get to, to, get to in the realm of baseball. First things first, um, Aaron Judge. Hit his 45th home run of the season on Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was the 108th game for the Yankees this year. It's the fifth fastest that a player has hit 45 home runs in a season. Wow. The fifth fastest. Yep. Uh, do you have the list of who's in front of him? Yeah. Number one, Barry Bonds. He Makes did it sense. In 97 games in 2001. Unbelievable. Number two and three are both owned by Mark McGuire. Okay. Number two. Sammy Sosa up there. No, he's not. Oh. Uh, number two. Uh... McGuire did it in 99 games in 1998. Uh, number three, McGuire did it in 106 games in 1996. In fourth, Babe Ruth, 107 games in 1921. All of those very, very good players. <laughs> he is also the fifth Yankee with multiple 45 home run seasons, joining Babe Ruth, Lou Gehrig, Alex Rodriguez, and Mickey Mantle. Yeah, this is going to come down to the... Um, end with whether he can get Roger Maris's record or not. Roger Maris, I think, has it at like 61 for the Yankees record. Um, 
It's going to be close. He he hasn't had the injury bug this year, which is good because that's been a thing for him in the past. And I hope it stays yeah, that way. Yeah, don't speak it into existence. No, no. <laughs> I definitely don't want it to happen. It's cool to watch uh, home run chases. And honestly, we haven't had a cool home run chase in a while. You know, Stanton, I don't know, a handful of years ago, went on that mega tear in the second half. But yeah. we haven't had one of these. Cra- and Bonds distanced the number so much that it makes it hard. But when you have the number going after a historic record, any Yankees franchise with Roger Maris, it makes it super interesting. So I, I hope we can kind of keep with that. There is one thing that Barry Bonds really hasn't distanced too much, and Albert Pujols is catching up with him. Mm-hmm. Sorry to clear my throat for a second. Anyway, um, Albert Pujols, he's now homered against 448 different pitchers in his career. One shy of tying Barry Bonds for most pitchers he's hit a home run against. Pujols has done it faster, though, I think, because if you think about the um, career home runs that both of them have hit, Pujols is now at 687, and then Bonds hit 762, you know, the most in LB history, obviously. Yeah, that's... I, I'm surprised. I, I guess that makes sense. You don't think about it being that many pitchers. You just think that, like, oh, there, there's no way he's facing that many pitchers, but I guess it makes sense because it's not like one guy's going to give up 100 to him. Right. Uh, it, it, I always find it kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. It, that is, that might be a home run race that we might be talking about. In a, well, I don't know. It, it, Pujols is calling it career after this year, right? Is that what we heard, or am I saying that wrong? Yeah, he's he. Yeah, this is his. Well, uh, I guess retirement tour. Well, that stinks. I want them to stay for one more year so he could beat Bonds. Anyway, <laughs> um, that would be cool though. Anyway, uh, so on Wednesday, uh, Braves number one prospect Vaughn Grissom, I think that's how you say his name. Yes, uh, hit a home run and stole a base in his major league debut. The youngest to do so in the modern era of the MLB, which is since 1900. 21 years, 217 days old. His birthday, his date of birth, January 5th, 2001. Hey, that's my birthday. Is it really? Yeah. <laughs> Already a friend. <laughs> yeah, but uh, how many years is it separated? <laughs> I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, come on. Spill the beans, Derek. <laughs> uh, six years. Oh, is it actually? Huh. Interesting. So, yeah, the youngest to have a home run and a stolen base in their, what I said, yeah, his major league debut. He uh, continues the trend. The Braves are just calling up these prospects, and they've been pretty aggressive with the way they've called up prospects in the past. Like Ian Anderson struggling this year, but for the past couple of years when they were going deep in the playoffs, like he had big playoffs after being called up super early. Um, they had, uh, oh gosh, Michael Harris. I, I almost called him Marcelo Zuna. Mark, Michael Harris <laughs> come up um, earlier this year as another prospect, and he's doing big things for them. So that's a really good organization. Now, I don't know if this is... I saw this on social media by a news outlet. I don't know if this is true or not. Or I, I don't know how there wasn't like a distinction with this at another time. But mm-hmm. the Royals now have won back-to-back four-game series. It said for the first time since August of 2014. <laughs> now, I mean, 2015 is just what I'm trying to think of. Was it just like, did they go three-game series and then four, and then they just like... Yeah, so like I don't that. know how that stat is recorded. Is it you have to play back-to-back four-game series, or is it just so. if you play a four-game series and then you play a three-game series and then you play another four-game series, like, are you still within the, I guess, statute of limitations there? I mean... I'm not 100% sure how, how it's reported, like you just said. But um, I, a part of me thinks it's, um, you know, four-game series going into another one or something like that. That's that's how I assume it. Mm-hmm. Um, here's a wacky one to close off the baseball stats. Uh, Shohei Otani, again, 
uh, he's a uh, favorite of this uh, of this segment. So Tuesday was August 9th. Bear that in mind. That'll be important. Write it down. Put okay. it in your notes. Everything. So on Tuesday, Shohei Otani became the first player in the MLB to hit a home run and pitch six scoreless innings since Dave McNally did it on August 9th, 1972. 50 years to the date. How odd wow. is that? Wow. Play the lottery at that point, right? Yeah. Like, throw something on a I need to ask table. Shohei the lottery number. I should have asked him a couple of weeks ago when the jackpot was like a billion. Yeah, right? <laughs> he could do it. If anybody could will his way into winning the uh, no luck required, it would be Shohei Otani. And yes, the, we know the meme. Oh, there was a big stat, and the Angels lost. The Angels actually won that game. Mm-hmm. You know, believe it or not, they won 5 to 1 against the, um, the Athletics. Um, now, uh, we just had the sports stock market segment. Mm hmm. Let's go ahead and put stocks up on caring about meaningless games because the Baltimore Ravens defeated the Tennessee Titans yesterday in a preseason game, and they've now won 21 straight preseason games, which is the highest streak since at least 1995. Wow. 19- I, at, at least. I don't I don't know. Like, In fairness, I, I was almost surprised that it even happened by 1995 because that streak is so ridiculous that like I don't even think that anybody else should be able to match that ever. No, I was last night going into it. This is another thing. Like, it's too bad that um, you know the sports books haven't opened in Kansas uh, because you could have really soon used code KLWN. Yeah, I know, but you could have really made some money. Like, just bet on the Ravens every yeah. time in the preseason. Watch <laughs> them, imagine watch how them much money lose next made. week, and then this, and that, just because the stack came out. Well, and I'm not like a proponent of betting on preseason football. You don't know what's going to happen. It's a lot of backups. But at this point, why would you ever bet against Baltimore in the preseason? The second longest active streak right now is eight. By the way, that's by the Buffalo Bills. <laughs> so yeah. I, I mean, even with the obviously, we're now at a fewer amount of pardon me, a fewer amount of preseason games. They still have that streak. It's just absolutely incredible. I so, could have sworn the uh, Patriots in 2007. I'm actually gonna go okay. See if I can I, find I, this. I, I'm, I, I'm trying to math this out of my head because so two se- so last season was the first time that there were three preseason games, and then the year before there were no preseason games because that was COVID. That was 2020. So then, hmm, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Uh, so that's like five or six years. Wow. Something like that. Yeah, okay. I, I had it wrong. I was. I, I think I'm thinking of the, uh, I was thinking the 07 Patriots that went undefeated went the opposite. They were defeated in the, in the uh, preseason, but they actually won two out of four. I'm pretty sure the Detroit Lions that went 0-16, they went 4-0 in the preseason. Really? Which I love it. <laughs> love that, it. That's, the, that's the odd thing about preseason games. And in the end, yeah, the only reason why they matter is because you're going to actually see the people that are going to get cut. It's kind of a preview of everything, and it's to shake off the rust, and that's mm-hmm. it. Which, for football, is good. Something we don't see much in college football. Okay, should there be preseason games in college football? Or do you count the games against FCS opponents? Like, no, I, you, do you count those? I mean, I guess that, yeah, that sort of is. I actually think that's a that would be kind of a good idea. And this is coming from someone who doesn't really love preseason football to begin with. But I could get on board with, like, one preseason game. Like, what if you just had an exhibition? Or just, like, a scrimmage. You know I what I mean? I was about to say, at the very least, One quarter scrimmage. of a scrimmage. Take on, you know, Kansas versus Emporia State. Right. Kansas State takes on, you know, Washburn or something. It's just one quarter play. It's just kind of like a scrimmage. I mean, basketball does it. Yeah. I mean, just uh, I wouldn't say every it's basketball It's different because the physicality. It, so. You don't want to get guys injured. But, like, right. I don't know. I think there could be some worth to it. Last up, 
There weren't really a whole lot of important holidays today, so I looked ahead. Tomorrow is International Left-Handers Day. Are, okay. you, are you right or left-handed? I am right-handed, but shout-out Scott Chasen, who uh, is left-handed. Is he actually? Well, he is part of the... Okay, I'm going to have you guess the amount of people from a stat... Okay, from a stat I saw. I think this is in the world. Mm-hmm. I want you to guess the percent of people that are left-handed. Um, 20%? Less. 10? Yep. 10%. Okay. 10% of the people. That's I mean, it makes one sense. out of 10 people. But like... So many people get indoctrinated. Scott was telling me this story. I, my brother-in-law is mm-hmm. the same way. That they're both lefties, like they, you know, right, left-handed, all that stuff. But um, in certain things, like like swinging yeah, well, a bat or yeah, something like that, they bat right-handed. Say, a lot of a lot of left-handed people you always see are more ambidextrous than right-handed people. Yeah, I'm the same way. I can't do a darn thing with my left hand. Mm-hmm. I I threw with my right hand, kick with my right foot. If I try to throw with my left hand or kick with my left foot, I look like an idiot more than I do already. So, yeah. So yeah, 10% of the people in the world are left-handed. And uh, I think one stat I saw, even though 10% of the world are left-handed, I think 27% of pitchers in the MLB are left-handed. That's funny how that goes up so much. So, uh, you know, if you are left-handed, continue to be left-handed because right. that is uh, the one avenue of life that you can strive for to, to be at your best. All right, he is Lynn Gillespie. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Two hours down, one to go. Some Chiefs talk coming up next. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017, 1320 KLWN. Five o'clock hour with Lane Gillespie. I am Derek Johnson. We'll have some more KU football audio to share for you later on this hour. Tomorrow is the Chiefs preseason opener. They play at noon, which kind of a weird time for a Saturday preseason game. You'd think it'd be like at night. Um, It's also going to be hot. I was going to so say that's going to suck for the people who are there. I have no <laughs> idea what the weather is up in Chicago, but like I can't imagine it's going to be uh, like cool I guess it or won't something be like, like yeah, that. Yeah, it won't be like probably won't be this hot, like but yeah. it's probably going to be darn it's close. Not gonna, it's not going to be fun, I'm sure. No. So, that's not great. Also the Bears field really sucks like um <laughs> Oh, actually it, a high of 79 tomorrow. Okay, so, so not too bad. And cloudy. I guess okay. Well, I, still, why I, would they not do it at night? I totally forgot it was in Chicago. So the field <laughs> That's why I said it was going to be hot. <laughs> apparently has a bunch of issues and there are some worries that it's it's not quite playable, which always scares me because obviously the number mm. one thing for every preseason game is please no injuries. And then it's like please no injuries that are like Hey, <laughs> I had a non-contact injury because this grass sucks and I tore my ACL. Bench Patrick Mahomes, please. That's I, how I feel hey, right now. I'm all for it. I'm all for it. Just give Patrick Mahomes the reps in the third preseason game. Give him some there. Get a little rust off. Forget playing in this game. I'm all for it. But that won't happen. Um, no, there was a comment from Andy Reid yesterday that each quarterback will play one quarter of the game. And I think I heard that actually is also going to go for the other skill positions as well. So okay. Like running backs and receivers as well. Which makes running sense. Running backs will make it we'll we'll definitely pay attention to. Yeah. And so you wanna, you know, you wanna line up your QB ones with your receiver ones and everything. So it makes sense. Now, I don't think that's like a exact science. Like if there's two minutes left in the first quarter and they get the ball back, like maybe they'll go to the second string or something. Um that said, that is a pretty big chunk of time and Again, this goes for Mahomes and everyone in the preseason game. The number one thing I care about in preseason, which 
I, I guess the number one thing I'm watching for is also kind of counterintuitive because that means I'm not really wanting to watch it happen is injury. But uh, outside mm-hmm. of that stuff, just kind of outside of the the given stuff there, what you mentioned with the running backs is maybe the biggest intrigue for me. Like last year in the preseason, the thing I was most interested to see, honestly, was how the offensive line meshed, what some of the newcomers like Orlando Brown and Joe Tooney looked like. Yep. Were you getting a, a decisive push running the football, and were you getting good time for Patrick Mahomes? How was he handling that? Because there's been the question for Patrick Mahomes before about sometimes maybe ducking out of the pocket too soon and not stepping up enough. So those kind of intricacies with the offensive line. This year, though, I think it's the running backs because of mm-hmm. the fact that you have Clyde Edwards-Alaire is heading into year three after two, like not bad seasons, but just kind of mild seasons to when you draft a guy in the first round. Could he break out now in year three? You drafted Isaiah Pacheco in the seventh round, who seems to be, I don't know, getting some reps with the ones and everything in camp so far. He's going to be your first string kick returner. Like, what does he look like? Ronald Jones was a signee from Tampa Bay who... Showed some good stuff as as a veteran player with the Buccaneers. And before camp, it was kind of like, could he compete with Clyde for the number one spot? But now it's like, is he just competing to hang on to a roster mm-hmm. spot? You have Jet McKinnon, who didn't really play all season and has had injury issues all throughout his NFL career. That you don't really want to count on him as being a 17-game player. But from what we saw in the games he did play at the end of the regular season and in the postseason, he was maybe the Chiefs' most effective running back at the end of last season. And then you also have Derek Gore, who, beyond having a great first name, also showed some <laughs> flashes last season in, in mop-up time. Like the Raiders game really comes to mind uh, of the game that he kind of put together. And, and maybe he has an opportunity if he puts more together. Like he had a great preseason last year. It's going to be really fun to see how these running backs kind of create the pecking order amongst each other and, and who kind of looks best. Yeah, it, 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 it's going to be, a like we've said, the reason why it's going to be so difficult. The talent level is all there. It is going mm-hmm. to be so much fun to look at. I've already seen so many social media posts saying, hey, uh, here's uh, Isaiah Pacheco. Dude's good. Watch him just ball out at Rutgers and stuff like that. And, you know, with Ron, it is basically going to come down to who's going to stay, Isaiah Pacheco or Ronald Jones. And that's that sucks. Because they're but wasn't Ronald Jones with the Bucks when they won the Super Bowl? Yeah, and it, I, I can't remember if he was injured for the game because Leonard so. Fournette had kind of taken over, yeah. or if he was just kind of the backup at that point. But yeah, he was on that team. But still, like the dude's a, a veteran and a talented guy, a guy that the younger guys could definitely learn off of, and then he can facilitate in any way he can. So then, what does this mean? Basically, is somebody going to get cut, or are they going to have to change someone's role to? You know, make sure that everyone's happy. That's basically what it's going to boil down to. Yeah, and the which, McKinnon... Which kind of sucks, in my opinion. Well, the McKinnon one's super interesting just because you don't count on him being healthy, but if you're going into a season, maybe he could compete to be, like, the number one guy or something like that. So, uh, very interesting to see how everybody meshes together, who does well in passing situations as a running back, as a pass protector. Like, those all things matter very much. Uh, the backup offensive line is interesting enough to a certain extent because you have some interesting players... And in the same way for KU, you're trying to kind of develop those three or four guys as the backups who can fill into these different roles. So you always need that because we feel like you kind of know the starters. But seeing Darian Kennard, I think, for the first time, he was someone who you feel like could eventually fight for that starting right tackle role, but maybe not right away right now. Mm -hmm. So let's see what he's all about. But that one's just more of kind of 
Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Uh, the next big one for me is Frank Clark. Is he, by losing all that weight, changing up his diet, and, and losing some pounds, no longer having red meat and alcohol and everything, is this one of those things where it does actually tangibly lead to a better version of Frank Clark, a more explosive version of Frank Clark where he is able to get off the line quickly and he is able to have more hustle to him because there were too many times where there wasn't enough of that? Or is the lack of weight going to lead to him not being strong enough? Like those are things mm. I'm going to be very interested by. Yeah, that I mean, and that's a good, um, you know, you, you know, those are some really good points, you know, but I, I think that, I'm hopefully going to go with the uh, with the former that you know with all that weight loss he does increase that explosiveness and increase <clears throat> wow I don't know what happened there with my voice but definitely uh, increase increases strength um, in a big way we saw how explosive he was a couple of seasons ago I mean yeah he's still explosive but he could really just pop off the line like that I don't think anybody's going to stop him. I also want to see if, if things are noticeably different because, like I said, it wasn't just about the production. It was about sometimes a lack of hustle for him. So mm, yep, it's it. preseason week one, so I shouldn't really <laughs> look into that as far as hustle and everything goes. But at the same point in time, if this is kind of a prove-it season for you, like you would think that every rep you get, you want to kind of go all out there. So that'll be of interest for me. And then the young cornerbacks. Um, having good communication not giving up just like an easy long ball touchdown, right? If it, if they're making contested catches, let them. But at the same point in time, because you're playing Chicago here, I think there is more pressure on, even though it is week one of the preseason, even though this is a young secondary when you have a first-round pick and a rookie in Trent McDuffie, when you have Joshua Williams, a fourth-round pick, another rookie, who are both going to be in the rotation there. It's just the fact that Chicago has such a bad receiving core. I mean, it's by far the worst in the NFL. It's like Darnell Mooney, who's like a solid receiver. Outside of that, I don't know. If you made me like do trivia of like name the second, third, fourth, <laughs> fifth best receivers on Chicago, I would just miss all of them, to be honest. Like, it's a very bad receiving core. And also, it's not like, hey, we have a bad receiving core, but we have Aaron Rodgers or we have Tom Brady <laughs> or Peyton Manning or whatever. It's like, no. We have a young quarterback who struggled last season as a rookie. Is he even a top 20 quarterback at this point because he is young? I don't know. Probably not. And we have the worst receiving core in the NFL. So if you get it, like, it's one of those things where if the, the secondary performs well and doesn't have any issues, round of applause, that's great. But it also won't be a sign of, hey, this group is great. But what can happen on Saturday is that if the Bears, with not a great passing unit overall, torch your defense or they're making all these plays on your secondary, then what can happen is that that would be a very, very bad sign. I think what this is just um, above all is just going to be um, sort of a reality check for the young corners because, yeah, it's basically, uh, I mean, yeah, it's a receiving core that is the worst in the NFL, but they're still NFL caliber. I mean, they're there for a reason. They're still NFL players, so it's it's, it's basically just... Um, you know, get acquainted with everything, get acquainted with everybody. I think that's just where what's going to stand out the most is how well the, can they get acquainted and how well can they disrupt the pass? Because like we said, not a great receiving core, not a great quarterback, not a great offense in general with Chicago. So that's basically what it's all going to boil down to. Mm -hmm. It's it's basically you're not in the thick of it yet. Like you're not in like a full on uh, big time game scenario. This is still bigger than camp, obviously. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, that's that's the one position that I think you can afford the least to mess up at. Um, the last one is just 
kind of the rookies in general, um, it's always fun to see the rookies the first time, right? This goes for back to the corners with Trent McDuffie, Joshua Williams. George Karloff, this though, let's see what that's about. Mm-hmm. I would imagine he's going to be running with the twos, but maybe he rotates in for a few snaps with the ones. Leo Chanel is someone I'm really interested to see. The, the third-round draft pick from Wisconsin, great athlete. He's listed as a two on the depth chart. Again, could he get maybe some snaps with the ones to see what he looks like? Brian Cook, again, a guy who's listed with the twos, but maybe he'll rotate in with the ones, hard-hitting safety. And then what does Sky Moore look like with really the offense all around, with the ones or the twos, whatever he's with? All of those guys are kind of in that borderline of they could be on the second team, they could be on the first team, but regardless of what team they're on, they're probably going to get playing time. So let's see what they can do because I think to all of that extent, there have been good reports and good things that you're hearing or, or seeing as far as camp for all of those guys. But let's see what it is when you're going up against other competition. And I'm sure that – I mean, I'm, I would honestly say I'm to the point where I'm positive that both Sky Moore and George Karloftis are going to get snaps with the first string because they've already had that um, – you, you know, you've, you've heard the reports, you've heard everything and how great they have been in camp so far. Uh, so, you know, with that game action of being with the first stringers, I think that's really going to how they're going to prove themselves. So I think, I think the first quarter is going to be the most important quarter, not because of, you know, we're seeing Patrick Mahomes or the, uh, or Clyde Edwards, Hilaire or something like that. It's because we're going to have the opportunity of seeing George Karloftis and Sky Moore run with the ones. Mm-hmm. And I think those are going to be the snaps to look at the most. Things I'm not going to uh, overreact to uh, as far as everything that happens. The first is um, if Patrick Mahomes, like, I think it was the Arizona game last year in the preseason when he went like 5 of 11 or, or kind of had some struggles, mm-hmm. like missed some passes and stuff. Not going to overreact to that. We know what Patrick Mahomes is. The second thing is what receiver Mahomes throws the most to, has the most targets, or Sky has Moore. the most no. catches. No, but even that, I, I guess that would be the one that I'm willing to react to the most because that might be indicative of, of like, hey, it's a rookie and he's making his impact right away. But at, even then... At the same time, Sky's only going to get a handful of snaps in the first quarter. Yeah, and, and so like, it's just... Like, if McCall Hardman has three catches, I'm not going to take that as, and nobody else has more than one, I'm not going to take that as, oh, McCall Hardman is clearly breaking out and he clearly has the best connection with Patrick Mahomes. I'm just going to take it as, like, it's just how the ball happened to go mm-hmm. in a very small sample size, and, and I really do view it between Hardman and Juju and MVS and Sky Moore. All those guys are going to kind of have their day. Like, there's going to be games throughout the season where one of them goes off. And then uh, I think it's going to be probably pretty even keel between where the numbers are for for that quad of guys that I'm not going to overreact to whoever gets it in in week one of the preseason because what's probably going to happen, whoever gets three catches in week one, they might be the guy who gets just one catch in in week two and somebody else has has three catches. So I'm not going to overreact to the point that like, oh, that's clearly receiver one, whoever has the biggest number there. I I will be a little more interested with the snap count stuff, um, like who's Mm -hmm. getting the snaps with the ones. If, If Sky Moore gets no snaps with the ones and McCall Hardman gets seven snaps with the ones, that becomes a little bit interesting there because you're trying to divvy out who's the guy. But again, if if Juju and MVS and Sky Moore and, and McCole Hardman, if there's 15 offensive snaps and all of them are between 8 and 12 snaps or something, like, and one has three catches and another has zero, I'm not going to take that as, as really anything of slight. Um, and then the last thing is just the result of the game. I 
don't care. And I'm sure there's a lot for the other people. Like, <laughs> this isn't a, care. <laughs> no, this isn't a Baltimore Ravens thing. We don't need to keep the uh, preseason winning streak going. And even from a Baltimore perspective, I don't think they're sitting there going, yep, we have to keep Lamar Jackson in for four quarters because we have to keep our preseason winning streak going. The result of the game does not matter. The Chiefs could lose 44-10. to 10. If Patrick Mahomes connects with Sky Moore for a touchdown, they're up 7 nothing, and the Bears score the next 44 points. Yeah, it's not great. That probably wouldn't speak well to the depth of your team, and you don't want that to happen. But would it really change your view of, of if the Chiefs have a chance to be a playoff team or uh, their chances in Week 1 against the Cardinals? No, it would not at all. So I don't really care about that uh, in any way. He is Lane Gillespie. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it.